Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here yet once again with another wonderful episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today I'm going to be interviewing the first doctor of iodine. Dr. David Brownstein has been one of my personal heroes for decades, and I'm so pleased that he's my guest today. Welcome to First Lady of Nutrition podcast, Dr. David Brownstein. Thank you for having me, Anne. And my question to you is, you have authored 16 books. Can you tell me a little bit about them? I know iodine has been a primary focus of yours, as well as hypothyroidism. What else have you written about? Well, I started writing books in 1998, and I just wrote about what works in my practice. And I've written books about natural hormones, um, arthritis, um, you, know, you know, iodine, as you mentioned, thyroid disease, um, guide to healthy eating, you know, and, and soy, you know, books about soy and the problems with soy. My latest book is a holistic approach to viruses, which uh, came out about a month ago. Oh, we're going to have to put a link to that. Is that available on Amazon? No, it's available on my website, uh, drbrownstein.com. drbrownstein.com, everybody, go get that book. We need to really up your immunity. We want to boost your immunity and enhance your immunity because the immune system is where it's at. But right now we're going to talk about iodine because for me, iodine is so important and so underappreciated. So my question to you is, why is iodine so neglected and why are we so darn deficient in this country? Well, I mean, the story with iodine goes back nearly 100 years ago where um, the first real interest in iodine came from animals and people in the Midwestern United States around the Great Lakes where I, where I live right now. And what was happening in the early 20th century was that there was a goiter epidemic across the US. And as the country was expanding from East Coast to you know, westward, um, the population was expanding and there, were, there was a, a goiter problem developing in not only people, but animals. And it was occurring across the whole country, but you know, it, markedly increased around the Midwest United States. And so, you know, goiter, you know, was studied in the 1800s and was known to be related to iodine deficiency. And, you know, the, the thought was that, you know, this, and they tested the soils around the Great Lakes and found that they were very iodine deficient. And so the highest levels of government became concerned because at that time, the animals were not growing correctly. They were not procreating correctly. And they were suffering from thyroid problems, including an enlarged thyroid, which is basically what a goiter is. So the government um, funded studies in Ohio to look at what's the minimal amount of iodine you can put into animal feed for the animal thyroids to stop being, you know, having a disrupted architecture. And they, they did those studies around 1924, and they found that a small amount of iodine in animal feed would would correct the procreation and the thyroid problems the animals were having. So from that, they estimated the amount of iodine for humans from those animal studies. And they put a tiny amount of iodine into salt, called it iodized salt. And they did the first studies in Ohio and Michigan and found that um, um, increasing one's iodine levels through iodized salt decreased the goiter problem markedly. And because goiter was occurring across the United States, the government, you know, didn't mandate, but the government recommended iodine be added to salt, and it was, you know, recommended for the entire country. and And goiter rates went down, and it was really the first public health miracle there ever was. Mm. And from that moment on, 
you know, the interest in iodine kind of faded because everyone just associated iodine with goiter problems, iodine deficiency with goiter problems. And that was cured with iodized salt in the vast majority of people. And iodine was done, you know, it wasn't a patentable substance. Um, it was cheap and it was plentiful and nobody could make a lot of money at it. So there was really no interest in iodine. When I was in medical school in the mid 1980s, the only thing we were taught about iodine was that uh, iodine salt was a great public health miracle and it cured the goiter problem and iodine deficiency no longer exists. Well, once I got my eyes open to holistic medicine, you know, I started looking at the government's own statistics. I realized, well, iodine deficiency is not a thing of the past. In fact, iodine levels have been falling continually for nearly 50 years now. Wow. And our iodine levels have fallen over 50% over the last just about 50 years. And we, we're now more iodine deficient than our predecessors were. And um, so the, the only ones seemingly interested in iodine are holistic doctors right now and holistic healthcare practitioners. And, um, you know, iodine's got a long story, not only with the thyroid, but the other glandular tissue. You know, iodine is, is essential for every cell in the body. The white blood cells can't fight infection without it. That's why iodine was part of my protocol for treating COVID patients. But for the, for the thyroid, you know, the highest concentration of iodine in the body is in the thyroid, but there's, there's large amounts of iodine in the other glands of the body, which include the breasts, the ovaries, the uterus, the pancreas, the parathyroid, um, the prostate. And what are we having problems with in our country? We're having problems with all these glandular tissues. We have, yes. one in seven, we have one in seven women with breast cancer, one in three men, I'm sorry, one in three men with prostate cancer. Thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer across the U.S. Wow. We have epidemic increases of uterine, ovarian, you know, all the glandular tissue. And my premise has been, since I've been working with iodine over 20 years, that the, the major cause of these, these significant problems is iodine deficiency. Um, and then we're not going to rectify these problems until we rectify this iodine deficiency problem. The average iodine levels across the United States are below WHO recommendations. So as a population, we're iodine deficient. And we've tested over 7,000 people in our office for iodine levels. Over 97% are low in iodine. Oh my gosh. So that we've got to repeat that nearly eight out of 10 individuals are iodine. I guess um, it's even more than that. It's more than that. It's over nine of 10 are deficient. And, and not only are they deficient, most are markedly wow. deficient. They meet World Health Organization criteria of severely deficient in iodine. How do, you really, how do you test for that, if I may rudely interrupt? The, the, the accepted test for iodine are urinary excretion levels. And um, there are other ways to test for iodine, but really that's the best way of ascertaining one's iodine status. Really the only people that I see that have normal iodine levels as new patients are ones that generally have read my book and are taking iodine coming into the practice. And <laughs> oh my gosh. if they don't take it, if they don't take it in today's toxic world with all our exposure to the toxic halides, bromide and fluoride, which actually kick iodine out of the body, that you're, you're, you're bound to be iodine deficient. We have too much exposure to fluoride in our water supply, to bromide in everything from consumer electronics like phones and you know the, the, the cell phones and, and computers, to mattresses and, and curtains and carpet, um, to food where it's, you know, you have brominated vegetable oils and these sodas and some other products and it's in brominated flour, it's in cookies and cakes and breads. You know, it's all over the place. Um, 
So we've got a mess on our hands. You know, the government knows that there's a mess on our hands and they do nothing about it. And um, it's up for the up for all of us to educate ourselves and to take our health in our own hands because so so do you think no 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 that's so true on so many levels so do you think that the massive increase in hypothyroidism may be due to a massive deficiency of iodine well there's no question there's a massive deficiency of iodine across the country government's own stats show it my stats show it i talked to other practitioners around the country um whom i've lectured to they're all seeing it and the thyroid gland need, uh, has the highest concentration of iodine and you can't make thyroid hormone. In fact, you can't make any single hormone in the body without enough iodine, the adrenals, the ovaries, the testes, doesn't really matter. So if you're iodine deficient, the thyroid, you know, there's a continuum that happens in, in, in iodine deficiency. When, it, when you're first deficient, these glands lose their normal architecture and they become cystic. And if it goes on longer, the mm. glands the glands become you know, nodular and harder. And if it goes on longer, they become hyperplastic, which is the precursor to cancer. And iodine is one of the few nutrients that have been studied out there that can not only um, arrest the, this progression to cancer, but it can reverse it. Even if cancer is there, it's been shown to have apoptotic effects for cancer cells. There's not many, there's no drug that can do that. Wow. Uh, there's, only, there's only a few natural items like vitamin C and a couple of other things that have been shown to have apoptosis cancer cells. Do you, can, if you worked with cancer patients where they've reversed their cancer using optimum iodine dosages? Well, I, you know, look, iodine is best used as part of a holistic treatment regimen where you do a lot of other things. But um, iodine has been studied in the animal test tube in humans that way and has been shown to be effective that way. Now, I don't think iodine should be the only thing you ever do. Um, but I think that the epidemic of breast cancer and prostate cancer and ovarian, uterine, thyroid that we're seeing right now is due in large part to iodine deficiency. So where should we be getting our iodine? So I, I imagine many people still use iodized salt, but that's still not enough iodine. Am I correct? So iodized salt was pretty effective in the 1920s to reverse the goiter issue. But if you think about the 1920s, we didn't have this bromide fluoride issue going on. Or the chlorine, that's another zapper. Well, so in the periodic table of elements, iodine is part of group 17, the halides. That includes fluoride, chloride, bromide, and iodine. Of those halides, only two are essential. We need iodine and chloride. Two are non-essential and are toxic and are carcinogenic agents as bromide and Fluoride. fluoride. Mm. So what are we getting too much of? We're with fluoride all in our water supply. It's in drinks, it's in sodas, you know, it's, it's all over the place. And we have bromide and just tons of bromide across the United States. The European Union has outlawed a lot of sources of bromide. We, we still get it. So it, all these halides work by competitive inhibition, meaning if you get too much of one halide, it'll kick out the other ones. So if you have too much bromide and fluoride, it's going to kick out iodine and chloride. Um, conversely, if you go the other way, it'll kick out bromide and fluoride. So the problem I'm seeing, and I've done this testing with my patients, is that they're, you know, over 97% are deficient in iodine. Those same patients deficient in iodine have much too much bromide. Fluoride's a little harder to test for. So we, we couldn't do the testing on fluoride because it's such an electronegative toxic substance the body binds it up tightly very quickly, mostly in the bones and the teeth, that you can't do the uh, excretion test for fluoride.
but bromide we could and we found it. And um, that's what I see occurring with my patients. And so our iodine requirements are actually higher now than they were for our predecessors, you know, generations ago because of our exposure to these toxic phthalates are so much higher. So I'm, I'm just wondering in an everyday diet, um, a lot of people are using sea salt. They're using a Celtic salt or Himalaya salt. Are those good sources of iodine in your estimation? Well, I think those are healthy food sources that contain a lot of minerals and are much healthier than the refined salt that's been iodized. And, you know, but it's not only been iodized, it's been, it's been bleached. It has ferrocyanide in it. Um, it has aluminum silicate in it. You know, refined salt is not a good, you know, not a good substance to ingest. The problem with the unrefined salt in regards to iodine is there's a tiny amount of iodine in there, but not enough, not in our toxic world. So I, I do recommend my patients use unrefined salt all the time, but I also recommend they, they supplement with iodine. In, in our world, I, I don't think you can get enough iodine in through diet. The, the only sources, major sources in diet are ocean vegetables and ocean uh, you know, animal products. But by the time that product has been taken out of the ocean and prepared for us to eat, a lot of the iodine has been sublimated out to a gaseous phase. And if the ocean is polluted, with bromide and fluoride, if they have the same sodium iodine symporters we have, they're going to be competitively inhibited against iodine as well and accumulate bromide and fluoride and, you know, they'll release their iodine. So no so, more seaweeds. You're not a big believer in kelp or nori I, or hijiki and so forth, because I'm not anymore because I'm not convinced that they're clean. I'm telling you, um, and that I checked this years ago. Um, I did some testing on seaweed. The iodine content was different batch to batch. The bromide content was uh, content was different from batch to batch. I don't. You, you simply can't do it. That it's it's just it can't be done with the toxicity levels that I was seeing in my patients. Mm. So, not all forms of iodine are the same. What do you think are the healthiest forms? I mean, what should people be doing on a daily basis? I know it depends upon their particular age and stage of life and maybe health conditions, but in general, what would you recommend, Dr. Brownstein? Oh, you're right. You know, look, everyone's a unique biochemical individual and needs to be treated as such. So um, having said that, the best advice I can give anyone is work with an iodine literate uh, healthcare practitioner who can test your levels and then, you know, adjust things and retest. Um, but as a, as a, as a just general ideas, um, you know, I did this research with Dr. Abraham and a, a couple of colleagues, you know, 20, over 20 years ago now. Is that Guy Abraham? That is Guy Abraham. Yes. Yes. And, uh, did you know him? I knew of him through the work of Nan Fuchs, who was a dear friend. Yeah. He, um, he is the most brilliant person I've ever met. And he's no longer with us. No, he, he died, unfortunately, a few years ago. And, um, I used to fly out four times, four to sometimes six times a year to just do bench lab work with him in California. And um, it was a, he, he taught me, boy, did he taught me a lot. He, um, he started writing about Ida and that's how I got interested in it. Um, he, so, so here, well, since you brought him up, you got to hear the whole story. Yeah, I so, do. I do. I adored him. I, I first I first followed him in the 80s when I was at the Pritikin Center because he used to write about PMS and all the yes, different types of PMS. And then I know he started writing about iodine and then you became the iodine king. So, so I, what, I, I want the whole story. And so do my you, listeners. All right, you got to hear it. This is a good story. So I, I, be, I finished my residency, start practicing conventional medicine. 
not happy with what I was doing and people weren't getting better. And the short version of the story, my dad was very ill with heart disease and a long 40 year history of heart disease before that. And patient gives me a book by Jonathan Wright, Healing with Nutrition. And I read that book and I called my dad in the office, do a couple of blood tests and his testosterone levels zero or below detectable limits. His thyroid levels are in a lower reference range. So I put him on a little bit of thyroid hormone, natural thyroid hormone and testosterone in his 40 year his 20 year history of uh, continuing angina went away. Wow. Wow. Within seven days, his cholesterol in the 300s fell below 200 without changing any of his bad habits. And he looked better and acted better. I didn't think he was going to die anymore, which is what I thought was going to happen. So at that moment, I shifted. I decided I did not like what I was doing in conventional medicine, even though I had, I didn't grow up in a holistic household. I didn't take any vitamins. I didn't eat very well. I used to love McDonald's, a quarter pound of <laughs> cheese and a large Coke and fries. And um, I had severe asthma and I was on inhalers and steroids periodically. And you know, I wasn't very healthy back then, but I read this book by Dr. Wright and chest my dad. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not happy with what I'm doing in medicine. I, I, I wasn't happy before that. I was six months into it, realizing I'm just pushing drugs on people that aren't treating any underlying cause of their symptoms or mostly underlying cause of their symptoms. And then I'm having to treat the other, the other adverse effects from drugs with other drugs. And my patients weren't getting better. And I, I remember telling Allison one day, I can't do this. I was six months into practicing. I told her, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. We, you know, we had a hundred thousand dollars in student loans back then, which is, uh, that was a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get this book from a patient. I read it. I, I um, put those my dad on those things, and I and and uh, I do a 360. I just I made 180. I just turned the other way and said I'm gonna, you know, I, I was in the practice. I was negotiating and buying for a partnership, and I said to the partners, I'm I'm leaving, and they were like, Why? We're going to be partners. And I'm like, No, I, I don't want to practice it. They said, Well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to do holistic medicine. And they said, How are you going to do it? And I'm like, I don't know, but I can't, but I need to go do it somewhere and figure this out. And they said, why don't you do it here? And I'm like, no, I need, I need a holistic office. I didn't really know what it was. So I left, I continued reading. I was going to conferences. I mean, I was really reading. I mean, that's what I was doing every night. Mm. And I was trying different things. And since I, my dad did so well in testosterone and thyroid hormone, I started looking at the thyroid gland for everybody. Mm-hmm. I started to find all these hypothyroid cases. And so, you know, a short time after that, a couple of years, you know, I got what I would estimate three quarters of my practice on a small amount of thyroid hormone. And they were feeling better and practice was growing and I thought I was doing good. And, but it was bothering me. Why am I putting so many people on thyroid hormone? You know, why, why do we're, not, we're designed pretty well to, to the human body's designed fabulously to age gracefully and to function well into old age. If we supply it with the right stuff that it needs and keep the toxicity levels down. Yeah. And so I, was investigating what are the cofactors for thyroid hormone production. And, and, you know, there was magnesium and there's selenium and there's vitamin C. And you you always come into iodine as part of that. You know, it's a high concentration in the thyroid gland. You can't make thyroid hormone without iodine, as I mentioned before. T4 has four atoms of iodine attached to it. T3 has three atoms of iodine attached to it. And I tried magnesium. I tried selenium. I tried vitamin C. I tried, you know, all the cofactors and testing them and it helped some people, but their thyroids generally didn't get better with those things. It was thyroid hormone that got them better. And I would try iodine on and off, on and off. And they, they weren't worse, but they weren't better. I would try low doses, medium doses, high doses. 
And I get frustrated with it and I move on. And then maybe eight years into that holistic practice, Dr. Abraham wrote a letter to one of the journals that I get, and he developed an iodine loading test. Oh, yeah. I did. You know, I now I remember he was the one that developed it. He developed it. So he wrote, he wrote a letter about this iodine loading test. It was a little letter to the editor. It was two, two paragraphs long. It was nothing. So I saw the letter. I saw his name. I looked him up, um, found his phone number in California, called him up. And Dr. Abraham was very cautious. He, he, can't blame him. He, um, at that time, he, if you remember the movie, Meet, uh, what was that movie? Meet the Parents, The Circle of Trust. Um, you know, um, uh, the father wouldn't let the, the future son-in-law in the circle of trust. Uh, can't was think that, of that Meet the Fockers? No, that meet the Fockers was the second one. This was Meet the okay. Parents. No, 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 no. This was, uh, what was the first one? This, meet the Fockers was the first one. It was Meet the Parents. So, <laughs> okay. Um, and um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name, but so Robert anyway, De Niro. Robert De Niro. So he he wouldn't let he wouldn't let um, the other one. His, ben his, Stiller. Ben Stiller into a circle of trust. Thank you. Oh yes. Um, so Dr. Abraham, I called him up, and he was very cold to me, and he said, "I'll send you an article about, you know, that I wrote about items." So he sends me the article, and the articles perfect it's just it was just a fabulous article i've read that article a hundred times i still take it out today and read it and so I, there was a part of the article there's a graph in there i lecture with this graph everywhere i go about iodine and I explain it to the audience and to the doctors and to the lay people and i couldn't understand this graph but i knew that there was there was all the information was in this one graph and i couldn't get how he did it so i called him up and i said dr abraham i don't understand your graph and he, he said read the article and he hangs up the phone. <laughs> so I read the article again. I don't get the graph. I call him up and he's berating me on the phone. My partners are looking at me and, you know, I hang up the phone. I'm not saying a word. And I'm like, what did he say? And I'm like, he told me I have to figure it out myself. So, so I, you know, this hit, this is about three phone calls and, and I'm getting just chewed up by him, but I was persistent. And um, he, kept telling me you need to figure this out yourself i've explained it in the article anyone can understand it so i'm i remember i was flying to um hawaii to give a lecture about something else i have the article on the plane with me we're in the air from detroit to san francisco and i'm i'm reading the article i look at the graph i'm like boom it clicks i get it i know what he did i know this is it this is the whole kit and caboodle of iodine and we land in San Francisco. Remember, this was 1990, I don't know what it was, five, six, seven, something, five or six, I don't remember what it was, before cell phones. So I go to a payphone and I put some coins in and I call his office in California. And I said, I was all excited. And I said to him, Dr. Abraham, I get the graph now. This is genius. You should win a Nobel Prize for it. Uh. He, says, he said, explain it to me. So, <laughs> I, so I explained it to him and he goes, I'm glad you got it so you don't have to call me again. Oh, and, I love it. <laughs> and we hung up the phone and I'm all excited. And so I go do my lecture. I come back to Detroit. I call him again. And I said to him, you deserve a Nobel Prize for this. I, I, I want to, you know, as long as I'm not annoying you, I want to keep calling you about things. And he, he softened up at that moment. And he said, you're not annoying me. I'm glad you figured out the graph. Why don't you come here? And let's do some work together in the laboratory. Wasn't he and in LA at that time? He was in, he was in a, or yeah. in Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Yes. So 
I kind of flew out there and he, I got in the circle of trust at that point. And so we had a friendship for about 15 years before he died, you know, around there. And um, he taught me so much and he knew so much about iodine. He was just a genius and just taught me how to do research. And I wasn't, I was never thrilled about doing research. I never told him that, but I never liked being in a lab. I liked seeing patients and practicing medicine, but he taught me how to do bench research and how to critically, you know, evaluate others, other bench research papers that are out there. And um, so I, I took what I learned from him and then he allowed me to start doing research with him. We published papers together and that's how I wrote my first, that book on iodine, iodine, why you need it, why you can't live without it, which is in its, uh, I believe it's fifth edition right now. So and, Dr. Uh, Abraham, if I'm not mistaken, was known as a research endocrinologist. Am I right? He, he was, he was, yes, he was, a, he was an OBGYN by training and he became interested in um, PMS when he was um, in his residency. Yes. So he, gets, he gets a faculty position at UCLA because he developed all the assays for testing hormones that are still used today. Oh, what and a genius. What a genius. As a resident. And he, so UCLA gives him a faculty position. He's teaching and then he likes nutrition. So he starts talking to his colleagues at UCLA and, you know, they're all, none of them are interested in it. And he starts publishing papers on PMS and saying it's bad nutrition. That's why women are suffering from severe PMS. And they need magnesium and they need um, uh, other B vitamins. And, and B6 and was his favorite. B6 and, you know, and, and, and malic acid and things like that. And so he tells, he told me the story that, you know, he, similar to mine, you know, he tells his, his, his head of his department at UCLA, he's a, you know, he's a full professor at this time. That's an easy job. You know, you got a, you've got tenureship, you got all this, you know, and he says, I'm going to leave. And then, the, the chairman says, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going to make vitamins. <laughs> and the chairman said, what are you going to do that for? You got a, you know, a high paying job here. You got tenureship. He's, he was part of the UN, some kind of world health doing and UN, UN sent him all around the world as an ambassador um, to, for health reasons to study that. And so he starts making vitamins out of his garage and he starts storing them. And he, one thing led to another. And then he, he moved on to different topics and got into iodine. That's what got me interested. And, um, you know, he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being who just, you know, brilliant. Uh, night. Well, best, that I, that I remember. I have all of his iodine papers and I certainly have all the PMS earlier research, but he was the one that determined the iodine sufficiency test, but didn't he also develop an iodine product? He developed iodorol. And, and tell so, us about that and tell right, so us why it's different than any other iodine product on the market. So, so what I've run into over the years, when I, when I talk about iodine, when I write about iodine, there, I call it, um, well, Dr. Abraham coined the term medical iodophobia. And that's being, you know, you're in the medical profession and you're afraid of iodine. And there's this wives tale around that iodine will cause or worsen thyroid problems, especially autoimmune thyroid problems. Like yes, 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 yes. It is a widespread wife's tale. It's a wife's, it's a wife's tale. tale. It's, it's an urban myth, I guess is what I was going to say. So there's no re there's no good research behind that. And it's out there. It's in Way the, out it's in, there. I know. It's in the conventional worlds in the holistic world. So, so Dr. Abram, that graph that I'm, that I'm talking about shows you why you need milligram amounts of iodine because the U.S. from the from the the the, the um, 
who determines uh, nutrient status? It's um, not the RDI. The um, who determines that? It's yeah. Who determines the RDA? It's a uh, is it FDA or is it HHS? Whatever I government. I, I think. It, I, you know, I don't even know anymore. I think it's, I know it's the re recommended daily intake. It's no yes, longer the Whoever RDA. determines it, it's the U.S. government determines it. And they, yes. they say we need um, 150 micrograms of iodine per day in our diet and a little bit more if you're pregnant, if you're pregnant or during lactation. Well, it's not, it's, those are nonsense numbers. And they, 150 micrograms was a dose that was estimated in the 1920s to prevent goiter. And really nothing has changed since then, according to the U.S. government. But I already mentioned <laughs> to you that our toxicity levels have gone up at the same Skyrocketed. time. Skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. So our, our item requirements have gone up. But anyways, um, Dr. Abram and I did a, did a bunch of research. And that graph, the reason I thought something was in that graph was that there was. And the graph really shows that we need milligram amounts of iodine. And so Dr. Abraham, not micrograms, but milligrams, my hundred times more. Yeah, that's that. Whoa, that that's a big That's a big span there. So so it's a hundred times more. And so we estimated that the the um, minimal amount of iodine would would be what the Japanese get in their diet on mainland Japan. And, Japan. and, and why are the and why are we looking at I wanted to ask you this. Tell us about the Japanese. Don't they have one of the lowest rates of breast cancer and other iodine deficiency diseases like goiter and hypothyroidism? They do. And what's interesting, there's been studies when the Japanese moved to mainland United States or they, Alaska or Hawaii. Right. Their, their their thyroid problems go up just like ours. To our, to our levels and their breast cancer and prostate cancer rates go up to ours. Mm. And the, the common link between that is iodine deficiency. Mm. So, so Dr. Abraham and I wrote one of those articles about um, the Japanese ingest about 12 to 15 milligrams of iodine, which is over a hundred times the RDA for iodine here. And so, you know, so what's, what's the dose of iodine? Most of my patients are on 25 milligrams, which is, um, 250 times the RDA for iodine. And if 25 you have milligrams of iodine a day that they stagger throughout the day? Usually they take it as one dose. And well, one fell swoop, they take the iodorol? They take a combination of iodine and iodine, which is in Lugol's solution, which is one of the oldest medications around. And it was developed in the 1800s by Dr. Lugol. Um, or, or you tablet the Lugol solution, which is what iodorol is, or Another form is Lugo tabs. You know, there's a few of them out there. And so if they have breast disease or prostate disease or ovarian, uterine, uh, pancreatic disease, where these are all glandular problems related to, the, uh, to, uh, to iodine deficiency, they need more. So sometimes they need in the hundreds of milligrams. But, you know, this is where you work with an iodine literate doctor who can, you know, help you with it. Sure. But um, this is why the doses are, you know, from 400 to, you know, times... The RDA for iodine to more, you know, depending on where where they fall with things. So, what does the iodorol contain? It contains iodorol. iodine and potassium iodide, as I recall. So, Lugol solution from the 1800s is a mixture of iodine and iodide. I'm sorry, potassium iodide, D-I-D-E, and iodine. And one drop is 6.25 milligrams of a combination of iodine and iodide. Iodorol is made from Lugol solution. One tablet is 12.5 milligrams of a combination. And 
you know, um, Lugol tabs is another one that we use in our practice. That's also 12.5 milligrams. Do you so, prefer one over the other? The, the, no, I think that a good source of an iodine tablet or product, as long as it's made from Lugol solution, it's very, you know, it, it works as well as Lugol solution. Um, so I don't think it matters which form you use, but my, my mistake in my first eight years of practice or so was I was using iodide only the reduced form of iodine. I, I, I didn't know. And that's where, you know, Dr. Abram taught me, you need both forms of iodine. You need iodine, the oxidized form and iodide. And the reason you need both is different tissues of the body primarily concentrate different forms of iodine. The thyroid primarily takes in iodide, the, the breast take in iodine. And it, there's different tissues that take in different forms of iodine and iodide, but as a clinical effect, the, the best effects are reached with a combination of iodine and iodide. That I can assure you, that I've been, I got over 20 years experience with, and I used the wrong form, which was iodide in the past, and it didn't work as clinically well as the combination. So don't you think in essence, so we're talking about most people really need a, a base of about 25 milligrams of either the Lugol solution or the iodorol is what you're saying. The And the, the iodorol is 12.5, so two, two a day. Yes. Okay, I just want to get clear on that. But don't you think that iodine is a lot more than a mineral? It should actually be considered an, an adaptogen like half the herbs out there? Yes, oh, absolutely. Look, and every cell in the body requires iodine. I, I've been using iodine as part of an antiviral, anti-flu protocol for 20, 20, I don't know, 20 plus years. And when I was treating my COVID patients, I was using iodine as that treatment. I would have them double their dose when they got sick with any flu-like illness. And um, you know, I wrote a peer-reviewed paper on 107 patients we treated with COVID and iodine was part of that protocol along with vitamin A, C, D, um, orally, and then nebulized hydrogen peroxide. And um, we had no deaths. We had, you know, two hospitalizations out of that group. We should have had a couple of deaths and should have had 14. I don't remember the exact number. It's in my paper, but uh, over 10 hospitalizations, depending on the statistics, you know, at that time. That's unbelievable. I remember that Dr. Abraham once talked about iodine insufficiency. I can't remember what paper it was, but he connected iodine insufficiency with hypothyroidism and Graves' disease as well. And any of the autoimmune thyroid issues that we now see, the poly ovary, polycystic ovary syndrome, as I recall, fibrocystic breast disease, hormone resistance syndromes, sleep apnea was another one, diabetes and hypertension. Anything else we can connect it with? You know, there's a host of all those other glandular problems too. Um, but look, every cell in the body needs and requires iodine. It's just, it's, it's an essential element we can't live without. Um, and Humans are not healthy if they don't have enough iodine. That's just, you know, that's the facts. And when you look at the government NHANES statistics, you know, iodine levels have markedly fallen over the last 40 to 50 years, and we're suffering from that. And there, there, there should be a white paper from the U.S. government detailing this, but, you know, they don't because it's not a patentable substance. And Lugol solution and, and iodine tablets are cheap, and um, no big pharma company is going to be interested in it because their business will go down once people get healthier if they're taking they correct iodine deficiency. So what you've taught us is that iodine improves immunity. It regulates the thyroid. It normalizes hormone receptors. It reduces fibromyalgia. It protects the breasts. I know it also supports your adrenal glands and it also helps your digestion. Can you explain why that's the case? 
So the stomach is one of the, is a glandular product that does produce hormones, localized hormones. And it, it requires adequate amounts of iodine to make hydrochloric acid, to function normally and to, to do its job. Um, stomach cancer is going up at epidemic rates right now. And, you know, the, that's, it's, look, iodine deficiency should be a correctable thing. It should be taught to all physicians in medical school. And um, it's an ignored topic. It's been ignored for over 100 years now um, since we iodized salt in the 1920s or nearly 100 years. So when people come, you work long distance. I mean, you're, tell us where you are. You're in Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. I work in a suburb of Detroit. So you're in the great state of Michigan. Suppose we can't get there because of various and sundry reasons. Can you, do you work to, with telemedicine long distance? We do work with telemedicine once we see patients, but we want them to come in the first time. So we establish a relationship with them. And I don't do telemedicine only without meeting somebody. I just found it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know them. And, you know, I have to put my hands on them. I have to see them and, and, and do it in person. So once we're in person, we have a lot of people around the country and out of this country that we do treat. Um, but, um, you know, our office is, you know, we have five practitioners right now and we're, we're hoping to grow that. And, um, you know, we're, we're having fun at what we do. It's, it's, it's fun to help people improve their physiology and biochemistry and see the results. Do you think everybody has to do the iodine loading test? Is that one of the first prerequisites? So when I do, when I lecture to physicians and healthcare providers who aren't knowledgeable about or aren't using iodine or knowledgeable about iodine, I always tell them, you should do an iodine loading test in your first 20 or 30 patients. There's no, no question. You can get a lot of information. You can correlate that with the patient's symptoms and you, you get a better feel for prescribing it. And then you repeat the iodine loading test after three or three to six months and look and see how they're doing and how the test changes. From the, that information, you'll be a better physician, healthcare provider, you know, whatever. Now, do I do an iodine loading test in every new patient that I see now? No, I can do spot urine iodines and I do loading tests, but I do it much more discriminately. And the reason is for the same reason, I don't do magnesium levels. Uh, I, I check a lot of people for magnesium, but does everyone need to be checked for vitamin C? Does everyone need to be checked for selenium? Does everyone need to be checked for, you know, pick a nutrient and, and you know, glutathione before you prescribe it? So I, I don't think, I think we can use our clinical judgment and you, you certainly can do a spot urine iodine, that's cheap. And a spot urine iodine means you just pee into a cup, whatever time of day it is, send it to the lab and see what the iodine is. That's really the test the World Health Organization uses to determine a population's iodine sufficiency or deficiency levels. Um, now that test only works if people are not taking iodine because once you take iodine as a supplement, the, there are no reference ranges for the spot urine test. But the new patients coming into me, if they're not taking iodine, that's the test I do. If they're taking iodine, I'll do a loading test on them. So do I think everybody in the world needs to take an iodine loading test before taking iodine? No, I think that's impractical. And just, it's, it's not going to work, um, you know, for everybody, but I think you could spot check and you know, also spot test people depending on their symptoms and, you know, what's going on in their lives. So you're the book that everybody should be reading. Is it the iodine, why you need it, why you can't live without it? That's my, that's my current book on iodine. My companion book to that is overcoming thyroid disorders. And 
um, you know, th those those two kind of go together to talk about iodine. Now, uh, are, are they just avail available on your website or can people get them on Amazon? You know, we got, I got, I got angry with Amazon years ago. And, Good and, for you. You know, I saw the problems with Amazon and, and, you know, the future problems that we're all experiencing now with the censorship that I'm experiencing. And, you know, we, we, we got off Amazon's list years ago. So we sell them at our website, drbrownstein.com. It's me and my wife, Allison packs them up. She goes to the post office twice a day and mails those books out. Um, we have sold, you know, over 500,000. We're closing on 600,000 books any day now. Whoa, congrats. Um, Whoa. And she's mailed out every one of those books. Um, <laughs> we were on Amazon a short period of time, but that wasn't long. I got mad at them quickly into it. And, Good um, for you. So we haven't been on Amazon and I'm happy to do it out of our house. And, you know, we used to, <laughs> when I started writing books, I, you know, I didn't know if anyone... I didn't know if anyone was going to buy a book from me. And, you know, I wrote the miracle of natural hormones first. And, um, you know, we, we, I self-published the first book cause I sent it to a publisher and, you know, the publisher sends me a contract back. They want to publish my book and they say, we own the book. They, we they, can, they do own the book. We own the book. If you sign yes. this contract. Yes. And I'm who like, is the, who is the publisher, Dr. Brownstein? That was, that was 30, uh, 20, uh, what's that? 97, 107, uh, 20, over 20 years ago. I don't remember who the publisher was at that time. And I saw that contract. And I'm like, well, screw that. I'm, you know, I own the book. I wrote the book. I'll sell it out of my office. So I sold it out of the office. I found out people were interested in it. And that was in the beginning of websites. So we put a website up and, you know, people were ordering it. I was lecturing about it. I would take them with me on lecturing. I'd drag those books and boxes <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was, it was a fun time. And then, you know, we, we print the books, Allison and I would rent a U-Haul, we'd go pick them up and we'd go take them in our basement. Then things, you know, I wrote a second book and a third book and, you know, things got busier and we're selling more books and the basement's getting full and I'm starting to put the boxes in the living room. And my wife does not like that. So <laughs> we, um, we started hiring neighborhood kids to em empty a bigger U-Haul when I go pick up books and then we had to get a warehouse. So we, we have a warehouse nearby. She mails them out. And, you know, they're on my website, drbrownstein.com. And you also, uh, among your other claims to fame, you are the father of two beautiful physicians, Haley and Jessica. So, so Haley is in her first year of residency. Jesse's just finishing med school. I, I kind of took liberties with that. Um, and uh, she's got about two months left. And Are they following in your footsteps, I hope? We'll see what they follow. And, you know, they grew up in a holistic household. They, they eat very healthy They're They, you know, it was funny when they were in high school, they used to talk to me what all their friends were eating, the drugs they were on. My kids, I have, out of those two kids, I had one round of antibiotics and two kids in 25 and 26 years. Wonderful. And they didn't take that one round of antibiotics was in college for one of them who got a bad sinus infection. Um, wow. So they, you know, they, they weren't on stimulants and antidepressants and, you know, they, ate healthy food. They talked, you know, they, I remember when they were kids, they go over somebody's house to play and, you know, if they're going to get a snack. My daughter would tell me, dad, there's no fruit in their fridge. They have no fruit. <laughs> no fruit. You know, our fridge was stocked with fruit and vegetables and, you know, healthy products. And um, um, so they grew up in a holistic household. We'll see what they decide to go into and, um, you know, but whatever they go into, they'll, they'll have a holistic leaning to it. And they know the importance of diets and you know, exercise and taking care of yourself. I mean, you got to take care of yourself. COVID, I, you know, COVID is a perfect example of what's wrong with our country. And, 
why we got hit so hard with this because we're in an unhealthy country what do we expect Mm -hmm. when the mess we're in right now it's 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 whatever you know i think that's a good note to kind of end on i totally agree with you so i want to thank you for being my special guest today on first lady of nutrition podcast will you come back of course thank you for having me i've been a big fan of yours for years and years and years more than you know (laughs) (laughs) thank you Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into First Lady of Nutrition. And thanks to my wonderful sponsor, Unikey Health Systems, where all the best immune products are located, unikeyhealth.com. I wish you well. I wish you peace and stay safe. Love you all. Bye-bye.